this morning, uh, I do want us to continue. We started talking a couple of weeks ago here, these last couple of weeks of the season, as we focus on Christmas, uh, one of the uh, backdrops, one of the scenes that plays out so often uh, are the wise men that came bearing gifts to Jesus. And we've wanted to think about, as we've closed out this year, what are the gifts that we can bring the King? See, God needs nothing. There's nothing that we can bring that God needs or that He has to have or that He can't do without. But because He is our King, He deserves our very best. He deserves the gifts that we bring. Those wise men, they brought gifts that had meaning, that had purpose. There was a reason that they brought them. They had significance in, in, in testifying to who Jesus was and what he was going to do and what his life would accomplish. And so we've talked together the last couple of weeks, and we'll finish these last two weeks of the year thinking about these gifts uh, that we bring the King. And this morning, I want us to think about a simple gift, but it is probably one of the most difficult gifts to bring. In fact, a lot of you are probably begging for me to start preaching about money again, all right? I mean, it's, it's, it's so simple, yet it's probably one of the most challenging things that we face in our everyday life. And the gift this morning that we want to bring, the gift that we want to offer to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who deserves our very best, is the gift of holiness. The gift of holiness. A couple of years back when our uh, middle child, Hallie, was about three and a half or so, I guess she'd been about three and a half because it was Christmas time, and we had started setting up the tree and, of course, we got it out of the box, and nothing was together, and nothing worked, and nothing fit right. And, you know, we finally get the base down there, and then we finally figure out which way the poles go in each other and which one goes in the base there of the, um, uh, of the stand. And so we pull out the first branch on that bottom row. You've got to start there at the bottom, right? And we all know about fluffing trees and all that. Now that we've done the Polar Express, we're experts now in putting up trees. And so anyway, so we put that first branch in that bottom level, and Hallie goes, we're done. And I thought, you know, uh, how, uh, how often uh, or how dismal uh, uh, a Christmas we might have had if we had just been so festive as to put up the trunk of the fake tree and one branch with no ornaments or no lights and be done. I mean, Charlie Brown's Christmas tree would have been, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the grandest Christmas tree on the White House lawn compared to, to that little tree that we would have established. If that would have been the extent of our festivity, to the extent of how we were going to celebrate Christmas. But really, in our lives, a lot of times, we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And you know what we say? We're done. That's it. And it becomes our standard of living for God, that we are now saved. We operate as though once we become a believer in Jesus Christ, that, that magically that God goes, and all of a sudden we're singing in the hallelujah chorus and that we're perfect, that we're angelic, and that we're all that God wants us to be, and we're all there in all of our radiance going, this is it, God, you got me, here I am, and praise the Lord, this is, this is all there is. But can I tell you something? There's so much more to just putting the trunk up and putting one branch on. There's so much more to this life that God has offered, that God has given. He said that he's come to give you life and give you life to the fullest. And so often we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that's it. 
I couldn't do that again if I tried. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So often we, we give our very least. See, God has given his very best, and he deserves our very best for him. And so this morning, what, what I want us to look at in just a couple of brief verses, in fact, if you want to turn uh, to Matthew, and if you want to turn to Romans, you can. Romans 3.23 will be the first verse that we'll look at, Matthew 5.44, in just a minute. If you want to hold your place to those two verses, two very simple verses this morning. But this is what I want us to determine together. What is my standard of Christian living? Am I truly giving a holy life to God? Am I truly giving him my very best, or am I giving him a simple tree with one simple branch and saying, that's it. God, that's all I'm giving you. I want us to look at that together this morning. And the first verse that we want to look at together is Romans 3.23. You probably can not even look at your passage of Scripture there with me, but if you're not familiar with this verse, the verse says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it is one of the greatest verses known. It is one of the most memorized scriptures in all of the, in all of the Bible. It is very significant to us, to our lives as believers. But here's the problem. This verse was never intended to be the standard of living for us as Christians. This verse was given to help people understand that God and sin cannot be in the same place and that all of our lives are marred by sin. We all have sin natures that call us, that cause us to rebel against God. And so, since sin cannot be where God is, and because for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, what people have to understand and what people need to know in order to come to salvation in Jesus Christ is, I'm a sinner. That's what this verse is intended for. This verse is intended to help someone understand that they have sinned, that they are lost, that they are separated from God, and if something is not done about the sin that causes them to fall short of the glory of God, they will be separated from God for all of eternity. That's what that verse is for. But so often, what happens is it becomes a standard by which we live our Christian lives. How do I know that? What are some of the most common phrases, some of the most misquoted, misunderstood phrases? I've listed some of them there in your sermon notes this morning. Oh, don't worry about it. Hey, we all mess up. Hey, nobody's perfect. Hey, everybody sins. And you know what we as Christians sometimes begin to do? what we begin to buy into, what we begin to believe ourselves, it's okay to sin. Hey, everybody sins. Everybody messes up. God is okay with sin because everybody messes up. And, and what we find ourselves doing is living to this very easy standard, a, a standard that we can all achieve, right? Why? Why can we all achieve it? Because we're all sinners. And so we begin to le- live by this very simple standard for Christian living, saying... Everybody sins, and so it's okay if I do that. It's okay if I do that. It's okay if I go there. It's okay if I say that. It's okay if I visit that website. It's okay if I love money more than God. And all of a sudden, it's because a very easy waltz. Man, this, this Christian life is cake, man. I could almost dance. Dana, look at this. I'm dancing up here, right? It's, it, it becomes so easy. And listen, the truth is, if, if there's no accountability, 
if there's no conviction, if there's this, this, this lack of a standard of how I should live my life, considering the God of the universe gave his life for me, if there's no standard, if it's that simple, can I tell you something? It's really not that simple. Because you realize that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit of God now dwells within you. If the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you, but your life is marred by sin, and you find it easy to sin, and there's no conviction in your life, and you don't feel bad for your sin, you know what that does? It builds this gigantic wall between you and God. See, your source for living, the one who has come to give you abundant life, there's this incredible blockade between you and him. And your life is not going to make sense. God, I try. I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. God, I go to church. God, I, I go to Sunday school. I tote my Bible around with me. I, I bless my food so that, so that, that you'll be uh, uh, grateful that I thought about you before I ate my meal. I do all these things. God, why am I beating my head against the wall? Why is my Christian life not making any sense? How come you're not blessing my life? And the problem is this. If he's the God of my life, if he's the Lord of my life, and I've built all of these blockades up because I've found it so easy to sin, I've stepped over this standard, so easy to live by that everybody messes up, it's okay to sin, listen, then I have no connection to him. I have no ability to to reach out to him. And, And I want to tell you something, he can't hear from me. Until I come to that point where I confess, until I come to that point where I repent, until I come to that point where I beg for his forgiveness and say, God, I'm sorry that I found it so easy to sin against you. I'm sorry that I found it so easy to just live a life of sin. This very low standard of everybody sins. God, it's come true in my life, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you clean me up? Will you wash away my sin? And why? listen, until we get to that point, that wall stays there, and there's no ability of God's power in our life because we have quenched it by the sin in our lives. What are some evidence that that you and I live according to these standards, this low standard of everybody's sin, it's okay. One is there's no conviction. There's no conviction of even the small sins in our lives. The little white lies, the gossip, no big deal. It's all right. They're just little. They're not big in comparison to some of those other ones like murder and, and, and idolatry and fornication, right? These little bitty ones, they don't, they're not that big a deal, right? Well, it's amazing in Galatians 5, in the same passage of Scripture that talks about uh, acts that will not uh, people commit that will not enter the kingdom of God, you have murder, and fornication, and adultery. And, and can I tell you what else is in that same passage? Selfish ambitions. Envy. Jealousy. See, when we begin having no conviction over the small sins. In our Sunday school class this morning... We talked about that, that we're, uh, Paul says in Romans, we're not even give our bodies over, any part of our body over to sin, over to any, uh, any destructive forces. And, and listen, we think just because we gossip, that's no big deal. It's a destructive force. We, we give our mouths over to lying. It's a destructive force. The Bible says, give no part of your body, give no part of your being that has now been made alive in Jesus Christ to the flesh to the sin, we are to do our very best to keep ourselves holy and righteous and pure before God. And we have no conviction often in our lives of the little sins when we're living according to a very low standard of holiness. We also justify our sin. We like to justify ourselves. Well, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she 
said about me. You don't know how they treated my child. I have every right to do what I did, to say what I said, to get revenge like I did, to hate like I do. I have every right. I am justified. It's like the the lawyer right before Jesus gave the story of the Good Samaritan. It says, and the lawyer, the expert in the law, wanting to justify himself. Folks, we, we try to justify what we've done and how we've acted. We try to make God okay with our anger. We try to make God okay with our hatred. We try to make God be okay, and we justify, and we justify. And can I tell you something? God is not okay with anything that nailed us on Jesus Christ to the cross. It is sin, and it should be removed from our lives. And we try to justify. God, surely you understand. You'll be okay with how I've acted and how I've responded. Oh, wait a minute. You gave your son for me in my place when I was the one nailing him to the cross. God is not okay You cannot justify your actions to Almighty God when you come to the reality and the realization that He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. And Romans 5 says, while you were His enemy is when Christ died for you. When you were the one who was nailing Him to that cross. We cannot justify our sin. There's no conviction. We seek to justify. We find ourselves in backslidden states. Paul says in Hebrews and in in 1 Timothy, in in both of these uh, books that he wrote, that there is this point that we can get to uh, of being backslidden from God, being far from God, being out of God's presence, being out of right relationship with God. In fact, the Hebrews passage says that we can find ourselves so removed from God, so far away from God, no longer seeking after him, no longer wanting anything to do with him, that we literally, it would be like re-crucifying Christ all over again, submitting him to humiliation and shame and scorn of the cross, hanging there in all of his nakedness. It's essentially doing the same thing, doing it to him twice. Listen, he died once. He died once. And when we give our lives to him, we should give him our life once. We should not have to come back and come back and come back. Yes, you're going to sin. Yes, this verse, for all of sin, it falls short of the glory of God, is going to come true in our lives. Yes, but I want to tell you something. It should not be our standard for holy living. Because when it is our standard from holy living, we find ourselves further and further and further and further and further away from the presence of God the God who's come to give us abundant life and life to the fullest. The last thing, I I didn't mean to leave this blank out. I left one blank out intentionally, and I left one blank out unintentionally. This blank I left out unintentionally. Uh, another, uh, Another evidence that we are living a low standard for Christian living is that the world hates us. The world hates us. Now, you might say, hey, that sounds like a good thing. I mean, didn't Jesus himself say that the world would hate us because of him? For his name's sake, wouldn't they hate us? Well, listen, if that was why they hated us, that would be okay. But the problem for some of us is the reason that they hate us is this. We live a life about like theirs. We say the same things they say. We do the same things they do. We watch the same things they watch. We listen to the same things they listen to. And then we say... Nana, nana, boo, boo, I'm going to heaven and you're not. Can I tell you something? That's not convicting. That's nauseating. 
It is sickening to God himself that we straddle the fence and that we're lukewarm and that we're not hot or that we're not cold. It is sick to him. What do you imagine it does to your fellow man when you say, my life looks no different from yours. I act the same way you do. I talk the same way you do. Yet I'm going to heaven and you're not. It is not convicting. See, they will hate us because of our con- the conviction that our life brings. That's why they should hate us. Because our life lines up with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we are holy and pleasing unto Him, brings conviction, thus they should hate us. Thus they will hate us. But they hate us because we're nauseating. They hate us because we make them sick to their stomach. You're just like me, and you're telling me you're going to heaven, and I'm going to hell. Folks, if they're going to hate you, let them hate you for the right reason. We've got to stop being nauseating. We've got to stop making God sick. We've got to stop making our fellow man sick. And listen, these lower standards of Christian living, and they affect our influence so greatly. You sit at home and you tell your children to go to church, and you don't go with them. You sit at home and you tell your children, don't drink, grab me a beer. You, you tell your children to, to love and share with your brother and sister, yet the stranger's standing on the street corner, and you've got a Big Mac meal right here in the car, and you just drive by with your head down, and you don't share with them. And your kids and your family are watching what you do. They're listening to what you say. We lose our influence in our home when we have this low standard of Christian living. We, have a, we, we, we lose our influence out in the community when today you leave here and people look at you and say, Hey, you're dressed nice. I bet you just came from church. That's what they're thinking in their mind. They didn't say that out loud, right? Because if they had said that out loud, you might not have given them down the country because your food was cold and your food was late and they got it wrong and you just chewed them out and you left them no tip. You put a little dirty note on there, right? I mean, they're looking at our lives. Our community is looking at our lives. The people around you are looking at your lives. And when you live according to a low standard, when you don't care how your words are going to affect, then folks, they see it. And they are not attracted to Jesus Christ. You go to work, and your fellow employees, your coworkers, they see how you step on everybody to get up the corporate ladder. They see how you strive and do whatever it takes to get ahead. They see that you cheat. They see that you cut corners. Listen, wherever we go, we have the opportunity. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses. And when we live according to this low standard that everybody can achieve and everybody sins and it's okay to sin, then listen, we're being witnesses, all right? We're being witnesses to the fact that Jesus has not made a difference in our lives. Jesus calls us to holiness. He doesn't call us to live according to the standard of everybody's sins. Listen to what Jesus calls us to. In Matthew five forty-eight. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Very simple, very straight to the point. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It comes from Leviticus chapter 11, chapter 19, chapter 20. It also is stated and cited again in 1 Peter chapter 1. This verse will challenge us to holiness. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It will challenge us to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. Why do you set a target? Why do you set a target for an arrow or for a gun? Why do you set a target? Why do you set a goal for your finances? Because if you set a goal, then even if you miss, you're not far off, right? Even if you miss and you're aiming this direction, it's not going to go over there. 
If you've set the goal for your finances, you're not going to end up back here. Your goal might be all the way over there for your finances. And even if you make it to here, it's better than where you were. And it's better than going backwards. Listen, God understands that we're not going to be perfect. He understands that we're not going to live this life of perfection. But he says, strive for holiness. Put a target on the wall. Put a goal on the wall. And strive for that kind of living. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Listen, this is what can bring transformation in our life. This is what can allow people to know that Jesus Christ has really made a difference in your life when you and I strive for holiness and perfection. This verse, Matthew 5, 48, comes in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And you may remember, the Sermon on the Mount was about radical obedience. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say this. He'd say, you've heard it said, and then he would give a common phrase, a common thought, a law even that had come through Moses, right? He would say, you've heard it said, but I tell you. He he said that you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you that you should not even be angry and sin. Uh, You've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery, but a man who looks after a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. It was this Change. It was this change of mindset. It was this change of heart set from simple statements to radical obedience, to doing things to, that let people know that God has made a difference in our life. And if you think about why he began to make these statements, if you go back a little bit further in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 13 through 16, Jesus tells us, you are to be the salt of the earth. You are to be the light of the world. Two things that make the things around them astoundingly better. Salt makes things better. It makes it taste better. It is horrible for us, but it tastes so good. And we want to cover everything in it. Salt makes things taste better. It preserves. It keeps. It heals. Salt makes the things that it encounters better. Light makes the darkness better. Jesus is the light of the world. He's come into the world to scatter the darkness that we might know him, that we might have an opportunity to know who he is and what he has done for us. Light makes things infinitely better. We've been having trouble with lights in the sanctuary, and you might have noticed that this morning. And, and, and this morning, as ugly as I am, it's better than being here in the dark. It's better than trying to find our place in our Bible and hurting our eyes than having to go see the eye doctor tomorrow. Light makes things better. Salt makes things better. And Jesus said, you are in relationship with me to be something that makes a difference for the better in the world in which you encounter. In people's lives that you encounter, you're to be making a difference. And so Jesus began to give these radical things that we should live by, these radical ways that we should live. And listen, they're not radical. They're not radical. They're holy. They're godly. They're striving for me to be more like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a striving that my life would line up with His, that other people that see me would know that something and someone has made a difference in my life. Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I tell you... This is what well-intended people have told you. These are good sayings, but I tell you. Listen, I, I, 
for a lot of years, the biggest problem in the church, I believe, was this. You've heard it said, go to church, go to church, go to church, right? Almost as if if we come to church, we'll be all that God wants us to be. Now listen, I believe we need church in our life. I believe it plays a valuable role in helping us grow in our relationship with God and knowing more about Him and building relationships among His people. It helps us to become more like Him. Church plays an incredible role in our life. But for a lot of years we heard, go to church, go to church, go to church. And you know what happened? The thing that Jesus would proclaim to us today, you've heard it said, go to church. He would say, go be the church. See, the problem was we were coming to church and we were meeting inside this box and we weren't getting outside the walls of the church, and we weren't going out into our community, we weren't going out into our neighborhoods, we weren't evangelizing, we weren't telling, we were just coming to church. You've heard it said, go to church, go to church. And man, that's what we did. It was our bread and butter. It was life. Man, I'm going to church, I'm being a good Christian. But Jesus said, don't just go to church. Be the church. See, that's what Jesus challenges us to. It's to go beyond and above where we are now. See, there'll never be a time in your life that you'll achieve this point of perfection. There'll never be a point in your life here on earth that you'll be all that God wants you to be. It is a daily striving. It is a daily longing. It's a daily pursuit of a holy God, wanting to know Him more, wanting to know Him better, pursue Him. Listen, He says if we seek for Him with all of our hearts, that we will find Him. And the problem is far too many of us have stopped looking. We've stopped searching. We don't want holiness. We want this low standard of living. We want this ability to just say, hey, it'll be okay if I sin. Nobody will hold me accountable because everybody sins. Instead of pursuing holiness, instead of pursuing what God wants for us. You, you may think, well, it sounds like if Jesus uh, contradicted what God said in the Old Testament... I mean, did Jesus contradict what God said? You know, if God was the one who said don't murder, was Jesus contradicting that? If God said in the Old Testament, uh, don't commit adultery, was, was Jesus uh, changing what God had said? Absolutely not. Matthew five seventeen, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill What did Jesus mean? He means... Nobody's perfect. I understand that you're going to sin. And this is why I came and died on the cross for you. Because you're going to get this right, and this right, and this right, and you're going to mess up right here, and you're going to get this right, and you're going to mess up right here. For all of those places that you can't do it, for all of those places you can't make it, the blood of Jesus Christ covering your life fulfills the law that you cannot keep can fulfill the sin that you and I commit. Paul says it does not give us a license to sin. It shouldn't cause us to say, great, I can sin all I want to and God, Jesus' blood will cover all. No, we should not go on sinning. We should strive for holiness, realizing that there will be times that we fall. And in those moments that we fall, Jesus didn't come to change or break or to nullify the law. He came to fulfill it. What you and I cannot do in and of our own power and strength, the blood of Jesus Christ covers he also meant it like this. When you enter into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life and takes root and takes residence in your life. And now, you who could not be perfect, you who could not strive for perfection, you who were not godly, now, by the power of God, by His Word and by His Spirit, you have the greatest resource for holy living at your disposal and it dwells within you. 
Sometimes we forget that we are God's residents. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, and all we have to do is rely upon Him. What we shared in Sunday school this morning, and I've referenced it twice, so that means, man, get in Sunday school. It is a great place to grow in your relationship with God. But this morning we talked about that the Bible clearly tells us, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. In other words, the one that is in me will help me overcome the world. Uh, First Peter tells us that God has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that I need to live this life in accordance to God's word, holy and pleasing to him, to bring him glory and honor, God has given me everything I stand in need of. One of the most popular verses about the power of God in our life, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You and I can't be holy without God. But you and I also must realize that we must make the choice to be holy once we have a relationship with God. Without Him, we cannot do it. And once He takes residence in our life, it becomes our decision to be holy. It takes us striving for that. I want to give you three fill-in-the-blanks real quick. Four, actually. Jesus said to be perfect, we can't be perfect, so why did he say it? Number one, you've been declared holy by God. If you have a relationship with God, he has declared you holy, he has declared you righteous. In other words, he looked at your life and he no longer saw your sin, he saw the blood of his son Jesus Christ and he said, this one's with me. You should be holy because God has declared you holy. Second thing is that you should be holy because being declared righteous, you should live accordingly. Being declared righteous by God, you should live accordingly. In other words, God has said that you are holy, that you are justified, that you are in right standing with Him, and as a result, your daily gift to God should be this living for Him, dying to self, taking up your cross daily and following Him. I beseech you, therefore, by the view of God's mercies, to make yourself a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship, daily taking up your cross daily, dying to self. God has declared you righteous. God has declared you holy. Live as if you are. The third thing is that perception is reality. Perception is reality, and this is what I mean, that you and I can live such a different life from this world. We can live a God-focused, God-centered life where God is Lord of our life, where we have died to self, we have committed ourselves to Him daily, that people would mistake us for perfect. You think, well, I don't know that that's possible. What did the Bible say about Noah? He was a righteous man. There was no one like him. What what did the Bible say about Job? In in fact, God himself said that, that he was righteous, that he was holy, that he was above reproach, that there was no one like him in the land. Listen, our lives can line up and match God so incredibly that people could mistake us for perfect. My dad is not perfect, and I lived with my dad for a long time, But I want to tell you something. If I had not lived with him, I would not know that he wasn't perfect. Living with him for as long as I did, I'm still not convinced he's not perfect. Was it my dad? No. It was his daily striving to be like his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can live a life that is so radically different from the rest of the world that can make an impact in the people around you that people would declare that one is perfect. The last thing that I didn't put in your notes, and I did this intentionally, 
because I wanted you to write this all the way out. God deserves your best. God deserves your best. This time of season, we celebrate the gift that God gave in His Son, Jesus. And as warm and as cuddly and, and as embracing as a baby is, the grotesque reality is that He grew up to be a man, and He went to a cross, and He died a criminal's death even though He didn't deserve it, so that you and I could have the chance of the greatest gift of all, eternal life. God gave His all. God gave His Son. God gave His life for our life. God deserves our very best. God deserves holiness from our lives. So what do we do? How do we do that? We've got to see where we are today. What is my standard for Christian living? What is my standard of holiness? Is it me? Is it Romans 3.23? Is it that I look around and say, I'm better than most of them, so I'm okay? Or is my Striving for holiness is it perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This morning, what is your standard for holiness? And do you realize that God deserves the very best from your life?